Good Sunday morning, and welcome to Forgiven, the weekly radio broadcast of Northeast Baptist Church of Danbury. We're happy that you tuned in today, and we hope you will find the program beneficial to you. Now, here's our pastor, Joe Vasek. On December 21st, 1968, Apollo 8 launched from the John F. Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Apollo 8 was the first human-crewed spacecraft to leave Earth's orbit, reach the moon, orbit the moon, and return safely to Earth. The crew of Apollo 8 consisted of three men, Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders. These three astronauts became the first human beings to view the Earth as a whole planet, and the first human beings to directly view the far side of the moon. These men are remembered for leaving two powerful impressions of the world from space. The first powerful impression was in the form of a picture taken of the half-Earth hanging above the moon's horizon. It's a very famous picture. You've seen it before. In fact, it's called the most famous picture ever taken from space. The second most powerful impression these three astronauts made was this. Several weeks before they launched, someone realized that they'd be orbiting the moon on Christmas Eve. They'd be in communication with NASA, and the conversation would be broadcast throughout the world. A NASA official told Frank Borman, We figure more people will be listening to your voice than that of any man in history. So we want you to say something appropriate. Frank Borman wrote in his autobiography that he got some advice from a close friend on what would be appropriate to say. His friend's idea impressed him as being so perfect that Frank Borman carefully wrote out the words on three pieces of fireproof paper, one piece for each of the astronauts. And on Christmas Eve, 1968, as the three men orbited the moon, the entire world listened as they each read their message. Bill Anders went first. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Jim Lovell took the next four verses. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And then Frank Borman finished with, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Frank Borman later wrote, The impression we wanted to transmit was our feeling of closeness to the Creator of all things. God spoke this universe into existence. Only God can create. And the only words that have the power to create 
are God's words. God spoke the universe into existence. Genesis chapter 1 gives us the details of how God spoke the world into existence in six literal 24-hour days. Genesis chapter 2 gives us the details of how God created man on the sixth day. And then in the middle of Genesis chapter 2, we read of one of the most significant factors in the identity of mankind. What God does in Genesis 2, 16 and 17 affects you every single day of your life and every moment of every day of your life. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God made many kinds of trees with an incredible variety of fruit, fruit that you and I enjoy to this day. But God created one specific tree, He called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God placed that tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, which he had prepared for the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And then he gave them very simple instructions. You may eat of all the fruit of all the trees in the garden. There's just one tree you can't partake of. Man, can you imagine life with only one rule? Well, that's all that God gave Adam and Eve. One rule. Don't eat of the fruit of that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why was that tree there? Why did that tree even exist? The answer is simple. The tree was there because God wanted it there. If God didn't want it there, it wouldn't have been there. So then the obvious next question is this. Why did God want that tree to be there? What was God's purpose for making this tree a part of human existence? And here's the answer. That tree was the only way that man could have a choice. God wanted man to have the ability and the opportunity to choose to love him, to choose to obey him, to choose to be close to him. And the only way that man could truly choose to follow God is if man had the opportunity to rebel against God. Without the tree of the knowledge of good and evil present in the Garden of Eden, man would have no other option but to submit to God's purpose for his life. Without the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God could say that man had a choice, but what road would man take if he chose to go his own way? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the door that led away from innocence. It was the door that led away from God. And God lovingly said to man, I love you. And I want you to be close to me. I want you to enjoy all the good things that I can make available to you. But just be aware that right there is the door that leads away from me. You have the capability to walk out that door. But the moment you choose to walk through that door, everything changes. I say again, God didn't have to put that tree there. He did it because he wanted man to have a choice. I want you to let that sink in. Almighty God is the greatest proponent there is of choice. God is the strongest supporter, the strongest advocate, the strongest promoter of man's choice in the entire universe. God wants man to have the ability and the opportunity to choose. It's so ironic that when we hear people rally and protest in favor of choice, choice about anything, 
It's ironic that people set God up as the enemy of choice. God insists that you have a choice. God set this whole thing up to make sure you have a choice. There's nothing more anti-God in history than a state-run, state-mandated, state-enforced faith. God never forces himself on anybody. God has always wanted people to have the opportunity to choose him. God gave man the ability to choose, and God wants every human being to have the opportunity to choose. Choice is God's idea. God invented choice. God stands as the protector of man's ability and opportunity to choose. That's represented in the fact that from day one of man's existence, God said, Adam, here's what I made you to do. Here's what will bring you fulfillment, satisfaction, and blessing. If you want to choose to go your own way, that tree right there is your ticket to going your own way. If you eat of that tree, you'll be choosing your way over my way. But the moment you eat of it, everything will change for you. You'll be choosing death over life, but it's there if you want it. Well, you say, well, wait a minute. If man's choice would lead to death, well, that's not much of a choice. Well, yes, and that's a fundamental truth of the universe. There is no life apart from God. Do you understand? God is life. There is no life apart from God. It is impossible to disconnect yourself from God and still enjoy the blessings of life. And God warned Adam and Eve that that was true. But if they chose to not believe him, if they decided they had to see for themselves, they had the opportunity to do so. And that's the choice faced by every person who's ever lived. Will you take God's word for it that there is no life apart from God? Or will you insist on having to try it your way? That's the most fundamental choice of life. That choice has more far-reaching consequences than any other choice you'll ever make. But it is, in fact, your choice. and You'll live with the consequences. I'm so thankful that God has given each of us the ability and the opportunity to choose. And I'm so thankful, by the grace of God, that I've chosen God's way. I want to live my life for you. Let the world see your reflection in everything I do. Don't let the things around me, Lord, take you from my view. For I want to follow in your will and live my life for you. Follow in your will
that will reach out to the world and show them how your grace can set them free. But please don't allow me to forget where you brought me from, but remind me, Lord, just where God set up the human race so that man has the ability and the opportunity to choose his own way. No other element of creation has that ability. I mean, a squirrel can choose which tree he's going to climb, or whether or not he can make it across the road before your car gets there, but he can't choose whether or not he's going to fulfill the purpose for which God has created him. Only mankind has the ability and opportunity to make that choice. Now, from that initial choice of whether to pursue God's ways or our own ways, from there, there are hundreds, even thousands of other choices we make, and we make them every day. Some are relatively inconsequential. Others have limited consequences, and still others have consequences that affect us in ways that we're not even aware of. What's so very dangerous, though, in our current American society is our failure to acknowledge one very important principle of life. Each of us is the product of our choices. You are what you are and where you are in life because of the choices that you've made. It's so very important that you and I understand and believe that principle. As long as we blame our failures on everything and everybody else, we will never overcome them. You're the product of the choices you make. I was asked a number of years ago to lead a weekly Bible study at the largest private juvenile home in New York State. I had the privilege to preach there every Tuesday night for about five years. The teenage young men there were from all over the state of New York, but mostly from New York City. Their attendance at our Bible study was voluntary. They weren't required to come. We usually averaged around 30 young men per week. Some weeks we'd have only four or five, and then others we'd have over 70. I was blessed to see literally hundreds of young men put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the ministry ultimately led to the opportunity for us to establish a church in the Bronx. When I was asked to speak there, the director was familiar with my ministry, and since she knew I'd stick totally to the Bible, she said I could teach and preach anything I wanted to. But I wanted to go in a direction that complemented what they were trying to accomplish in these young men's lives. So I asked her, what are the core principles that you operate on in here trying to help these guys? She said, just one thing. We've got to make them understand that their choices have consequences. She said, I know that sounds pretty basic, 
But these young men come in here having committed crimes and usually not understanding that they're here because of the choices they've made. They're constantly blaming everyone else for their failures instead of taking responsibility for their choices. If we can get them to admit to themselves, my choices have led to my circumstances, then we can help them. And she was right. But that same principle is true for every one of us. If we can't own up to the fact that we're the product of our own choices, we can't succeed. We keep looking for the psychiatrist who will let us off the hook for our choices. We keep looking until we find the self-help book that will let us off the hook for our choices. We keep looking for the church that will pat us on the head and tell us that we have good intentions and tell us why our problems are somebody else's fault. We're even content to blame God for our screw-ups. Even though we don't consult him before we make our decisions, and even though we don't make him a priority in our lives, and even though we do everything we can to keep him out of our routine, still, for some reason, we're more than happy to blame him when everything falls apart. Anything to keep from admitting that we are the product of our own choices. George Jones was a legendary country music singer, one of the all-time greats. Many people think that George Jones' song called He Stopped Loving Her Today is the greatest country song of all time. But George Jones was for years notorious for not being able to control his drinking, even to the point where he'd openly joke about it and he'd let other people joke about it with him. There were several times when George Jones' drinking caused him to be a no-show at a concert. And I know it's not unusual for famous musicians to have substance abuse issues, but for George Jones, his struggle with drinking was a well-known part of his identity. In 1999, George Jones did a very productive thing on his album, The Cold Hard Truth. On that album, George Jones was very transparent in a song called Choices, a song that many have called his life story. I want you to listen to the words of this very honest song. George Jones sang, I've had choices since the day that I was born. There were voices that told me right from wrong. If I had listened, no, I wouldn't be here today, living and dying with the choices I made. I was tempted. By an early age, I found I liked drinking, and I never turned it down. There were loved ones, but I turned them all away. Now I'm living and dying with the choices I made. I guess I'm paying for the things that I've done. If I could go back, oh Lord knows I'd run, but I'm still losing. This game of life I play, living and dying, with the choices I made. Say what you want about the man's life or his music. His willingness to record that song demonstrates that he understood something that many people refuse to admit. Each of us is the product of our choices. You are what you are because of the choices you make. Your life is what it is because of the choices you've made. I understand that bad things happen to all of us. Bad things that we have no control over. But what you choose to do about those bad things will determine what you become. I guess I'm paying for the things that I have done if I could go back. Oh, Lord knows I'd run, but I'm still losing this game of life I play. With the choices I've made I've had choices 
Since the day that I was born There were voices That told me right from wrong If I had listened I wouldn't be here today Living, dying With the choices I've made What a haunting testimony. But the story doesn't end there. In an interview that you can watch for yourself on YouTube, George Jones told how he'd been sober for 10 years when he recorded that song. But he still felt like he hadn't straightened his life out. Something was missing. He went for a walk out behind his house one day in the late 90s, and George Jones said that there in his backyard, he talked to God. He said, Lord, please help me to turn my life around. Whatever you have to do to get my attention. I don't care if you have to hit me over the head with a sledgehammer. Please show me how to turn my life around. It was just a few months after praying that prayer that George Jones, in a weak moment, took a drink again. He was driving down the road. The CD was playing that contained that song that we just heard, Choices. And as he was driving, he veered off the road and he hit a bridge abutment. It took rescue workers two hours to remove his body from the car he was driving. He spent the next few days in the hospital in a coma with his wife at his side. As he was finally coming out of his coma, he was singing gospel songs. He said that the first thing he thought about was a gospel singer that he had met about six months earlier, a lady named Vestal Goodman. He'd met her once. He hadn't really thought about her again. But what he didn't know was that ever since he had met Vestal Goodman, she had been praying for him. And now, George Jones asked his wife to get in touch with Vestal Goodman and have her come to his hospital room. His next thought was of that conversation that he had had with God in his backyard. Lord, I don't care what it takes. Show me how to turn my life around. I don't care what it takes. They call that hitting bottom. It's when you're genuinely ready to turn to God and let him take over. Vestal Goodman came to George Jones' hospital room, and she shared with him the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then she had prayer with him. And that day, George Jones made the best choice of his life, the choice that changed everything for him. After that, his relationship with God grew stronger and stronger. He said that he knew that he had been forgiven of his sins, and his desire was just to get to know God better. On April 6, 2013, At the age of 81, George Jones died. And though by his own admission he had made many poor choices in his life, the choice that turned it all around is when he chose to let God forgive his sins through Jesus Christ and give him the gift of eternal life. Now, you may or may not be a fan of country music. You may have never heard of George Jones. That's not really the point here. What is the point is that a man who spent his life making many poor choices and even had a hit record singing about his own poor choices made the greatest choice of his life. And the choice that provided the remedy for all of his poor choices when he trusted Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. Let me encourage you today that no matter what choices you may have made in your lifetime, God promises that you can still make the choice to be forgiven. You can still make the choice to turn and make peace with God. You can still make the choice to receive God's gift of eternal life. Now, be very careful of what you're hearing me say. You see, I'm saying that if you want to be forgiven of your sins today, God promises that you can be forgiven of your sins today. 
but be careful that you're not hearing me say that you can do that any old time you want to. Because the fact is, if you say no to God today, there may come a time when you don't want to be forgiven. When your heart has grown so cold and callous towards God, when you've said no to Him one too many times, and when by your own choosing, the door has been closed. Your opportunity is gone. You see, there never comes a time when God won't allow you to turn to Him and be saved, but there can come a time when you will refuse to turn to Him and be saved. When you come to that place, it's eternally hopeless for you. It has never been more urgent for you to turn to Jesus Christ than it is right now. The Bible says clearly that every human being has rebelled against God, our Creator. It says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says clearly that because of our rebellion, we have brought upon ourselves eternal damnation. It says, the wages of sin is death. But thank God the Bible also, very clearly, says that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross and took our eternal damnation upon himself. And then, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death. Jesus conquered sin and death for each of us and for all of us. The Bible says, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now, God extends to each of us and to all of us the invitation to renounce our sin and to trust him to forgive us and to save us. You accept God's invitation by telling God that you're accepting his invitation. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can make that choice right now. Talk to God and say, dear God, I know I have sinned against you. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Right now, I turn from my sin and receive Jesus as my Savior. Come into my life. Take me to heaven when I die. Help me to know you while I live. Amen. We talked all about choices today. Your choice to make Jesus your Savior is the greatest choice you will ever make. Thank you for tuning in today. Have a great week. God bless you. The people of Northeast Baptist Church thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you enjoyed the Forgiven broadcast. If you'd like to contact us with a comment or a prayer need, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at forgiven at nbcdanbury.org, or you can call the church office at 203-798-7088. We invite you to join our live stream service this morning at 11. You can watch it at nbcdanbury.org on our Northeast Baptist Church Facebook page or on our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed the radio broadcast, you'll love our church services. We'll see you again next Sunday morning at 7. God bless you and have a great week.